Well, we continue today with our series, The, the Great Expectation. This is part two today. And uh, we've got in front of us here the Advent wreath. I'm not going to go through everything again. Last week it was pretty much explained and covered. But it is uh, really, um, the word Advent, of course, means arrival. Advent means arrival. This time of the year, they're usually the Advent series, and that this is an Advent series, basically just means arrival, because we are remembering the arrival of Jesus, his, his first coming. But not only are we remembering what happened 2,000 years ago, but we are anticipating. That's what the, the great expectation is. It was a great expectation back then. When is this Messiah going to come? It had been prophesied, but guess what? Those prophecies were fulfilled and Messiah did come. That great expectation was fulfilled, was accomplished. Now, we have another great expectation, which is his second advent. Because Jesus promised to return. And he will. Amen. And we have those promises as well. And so we are talking about that as well. And, and this really is very much symbolic, symbolic tradition. It has, it has four candles. Usually there are three purple and one pink. We're not doing colors. We're just doing the candles. Um, representing love, hope, peace, and joy. Love, hope, peace, and joy. These are themes. Look, they're part of the Christian life, but somehow during Christmas season, it really surfaces. Christmas season kind of is conducive to us talking about love, peace, hope, and joy. It is a joyous occasion, you know, and, and so we are talking about these things. That's what these four candles symbolize. Later on, a fifth candle was added in the center, a white candle, to symbolize Christ. You know, he is the light of the world, amen? And so that candle is always on, and as every Sunday goes, we light another candle and we talk uh, about it. So this is, this is an ancient tradition, and, and many of the denominational churches still keep this tradition every single year during Christmas time. We don't do it every year, but now and then it's good just to connect with our roots and remember these very symbolic and very uh, potent truths around uh, Christmas. So last week we lit the, the first candle, which was the candle of hope. Remember? Candle of hope. It's also known as the prophecy candle in remembrance of the prophecies foretelling the coming of Christ. And he did come as prophesied. So it's also known as the prophecy candle. The hope that people had in the coming of Messiah was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it remains a candle of hope for us. The hope of his second advent, but the hope of a better future. The hope of his presence with us. And this hope is not just wishful thinking, as we heard, but it is a sure hope. It is anchored on certain promises. And ancient promises which were fulfilled, promises and prophecies that were fulfilled, gives us the hope that the promises and prophecies which are not yet fulfilled shall be fulfilled. In due course, they will come to pass. And that is our hope. It is a certain hope. Amen. But it is more than just hope on an idea it is hope in a, in a person. It is anchored on an unfailing Savior, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So it's more than just hoping for something to happen. It is hope in a person. Amen? Who is alive, 
who came into this world, who lived, who died, who rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is alive. He sent us his Holy Spirit. We've got a connection with this person. It's not just some phantom idea. It is a reality. Amen? And those who have committed their lives to him experience the reality of Jesus Christ. Amen? So that was the candle of hope. Today, we light a, a second candle. And the second candle represents peace, okay? Peace. And it's also known as the Bethlehem candle, which reminds us of Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem, amen? And it, it kind of builds up on the prophecy candle, because the prophecy candle had spoken about what would happen. And, and, and peace, the peace candle or the, uh, the Bethlehem candle kind of boils onto that because Joseph and Mary as prophesied, they had to get to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem as prophesied, Jesus was born. And when Jesus was born, what was one of the main things that was proclaimed that night? Peace. Amen. Peace. All right. And so that is what you're talking about today. And, uh, of course, that Bethlehem candle also helps us to, to recall that although the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they were so scattered, so divided, that time will come when there shall be peace on earth. Not just peace for Israel, but peace on earth. And, I mean, if you look at the history of Israel, they always seem to be in trouble. They're always being chased, scattered, you know, fought against. Right now, it's happening again. And uh, we know these things are written. They are prophesied. Unfortunately, they must happen. And they will continue to happen until the return of the Messiah. Amen. But anyway, peace is a big word around Christmas time. Isn't it? Somehow Christmas, again, the word peace comes up. You find it in Christmas cards and, and in greetings. And, and, and of course, it's related to the birth of Jesus Christ. And our focus is on peace. Now, we all long for peace in a world which is so torn by conflict and wars. And our world has always been, to one extent or the other, there's always a fight, a war, a conflict going on somewhere. But come on, guys. The days we're living in right now, it's ridiculous. It is so much going on. Two major wars and a lot of minor wars. Africa is riddled with wars. You don't get to hear about them because there's no Jews involved. And so it's okay to ignore all the Africans being killed and dying and being, you know. But there's war in Africa. There's war in different nations. There is poverty. There is hunger. There is so much lack of peace. And yet at this time... We think of peace, and it is almost difficult to, <laughs> to talk about this in a world which needs it so much and has so much lack of peace. We all long for peace. But somehow, Christmas causes us to maybe more than ever to desire peace. Have you heard about the Christmas truth, the truce during World War I? Uh, it, it happened once. It didn't happen again, and I, got, I don't think it's going to happen this Christmas in any of the wars going on. But in World War I, 1914, December 1914, there was a spontaneous truce that broke out 
in the war. It happened in the Western Front, where many groups along the enemy lines, they stopped the fighting. <laughs> and they went on to no man's land, greeted each other, and, uh, you know, exchanged gifts. The soldiers, they, they traded tobacco and wine and, and songs. And, and they, they, somebody even came up with a soccer ball and they, played a, they, they kicked the ball around. It wasn't a proper match, it just kicked the ball around. It happened on Christmas Eve. The British heard the noise and they thought again the guys were insulting them because they could, they could talk to each other. They were not very far from each other. They could shout at each other and swear at each other. But as they listened, they realized, hang on, the Germans are singing Christmas carols. And they kind of become, to, they started kind of singing Christmas carols too. And then they heard some German in broken English. Stop fighting. You no shoot, we no shoot. Let's meet in the middle. And in fear and trembling, one by one, they kind of came out of their trenches. They met in the middle. And for next thing you know, they started standing up, greeting each other, talking, exchanging these gifts. And the whole Christmas day, they had a truce. All of a sudden, they were friends on Christmas day. And there was peace in the trenches. Until the command came from up. Stop fraternizing. This is war. Get back into your trenches and kill each other. The world we live in. But that happened. You can, you can look it up. Some people think it's a myth. Nah, it didn't happen. It did happen. There is documentation. There are testimonies of guys, soldiers that were there. There are photos. Because back in, in January 2015, this news began to be spread in newspapers and photos began to appear. And that was the truth of World War I. Now what about the annual Christmas Peace Proclamation in Finland? Ever heard of that? Annual Christmas Peace Proclamation in Finland. By the way, Finland is again, for the past six years, they've been rated as the, the happiest country on earth. Okay, I don't know how they measure that, but anyway, they measure that, all right? And, uh, and uh, Finland is, is right there on top. Uh, I don't think South Africa features on the top 10, but, but Finland is there, okay? Um, anyway, in Finland, and this is a tradition which started around 1300. It's an ancient tradition. And so in, 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 in Finland, every year, uh, it's an event where a town formally announces the beginning of the Christmas season. It has its roots in, um, in, in, in old Swedish legislation and was established by Berger Jarl in the 13th century, building upon the truth of God tradition. And people, offenders who committed crimes during the Christmas season had a harsher punishment than any time during the year. Okay? They wanted peace. And so this declaration of peace is a, a symbolic and integral part of the Christmas tradition in Finland. Until today, they do it. Now it is actually broadcast, and, and they do it in different towns, but the, the, the main town that they use is Turku, which is the former capital of Finland. And so the mayor or some higher official will come out onto the balcony. There's a, there's a square. Everybody's standing there. It's, it's winter. It's cold. Snow is falling. It's all white, but everybody's there, and there's a band, and they play a hymn, and, and then he comes out, and, and he reads this very brief declaration, and then they, they sing the national anthem in, in, in Finnish and in Swedish, and, and then everybody carries on with their lives, and, and this happens every year at 12 o'clock at noon on Christmas Eve as people gather around. And, and the, 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 decla the declaration goes something like this. He reads out, it says, tomorrow, God willing, is the graceful celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior. And thus is declared a peaceful Christmas time 
to all by advising devotion and to behave otherwise quietly and peacefully. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because he who breaks this peace and violates the peace of Christmas by any illegal or improper behavior shall under aggravating circumstances be guilty and punished according to what the law and statutes prescribe for each and every offense separately. Finally, a joyous Christmas feast is wished to all inhabitants of this city. How's that, eh? And that's how they start the Christmas season. And it happens in different towns in Finland. The one in Turku is broadcast to the whole nation. And this has carried on for all these years. There was a, a brief uh, stopping during World War I, World War II, but not even the pandemic stopped it. During the pandemic, there it was social distancing. There was nobody in the, in the, in the square, but there it was social distancing, and they broadcast it to the whole nation. And this happens every year. This year it's going to happen again. All right? And it's just interesting. We don't hear about these things, but you see, there's some, somehow... Peace and Christmas goes together. People want peace at Christmas and after Christmas and every day of the year. We want peace. Why does peace and Christmas go together? Well, let's go back to that, that night when Jesus was born. Peace was announced on that night that Jesus was born. And we're going to read now a, Chris, a very popular Christmas passage. comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 15. And you know the story. Where a couple of shepherds, they are in the fields, minding their own business, just looking over the sheep. When all of a sudden, this mega angel, massive angel, lights up the skies. And this angel comes and speaks to them. And he says, the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Why does it say, do not be afraid? Because when you are minding sheep in the middle of the night, and a mega being rocks up in front of you, you become afraid. Very afraid. I don't care who you are. A couple of colleagues of mine have had angelic visions. They've seen angels. Their first reaction, fear at the size of these beings. These guys were afraid, man. So the angel says, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And as if that wasn't enough, all of a sudden, there's not one, but a host of angels. They just filled the night sky with light and, I don't know, flapping wings. I don't know what happened, but they fill up the whole thing. And uh, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace, goodwill Toward a man. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And you know, they went and they found the baby, they worshiped him, and then they went to tell everybody <laughs> what they had seen. But you see, that night, what was the, 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 the core of the message? Peace, goodwill, peace. Christmas Eve, the birth of Christ, is an annunciation of peace. Amen? And uh, now, 
There is another passage which is also linked to Christmas. This idea of peace linked to the birth of a child is also present in the Old Testament. And here's another popular passage you often read or hear this passage or read this passage during Christmas. It's spoken about during Christmas. It comes from Isaiah. It is now one of the prophecies pointing to Jesus. What we've just read is the fulfillment of a prophecy. But listen to this. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 to 7. It says the following. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Sounds like gibberish. Let me translate this into modern day English. What is happening is this. Remember I spoke when we spoke about Habakkuk. We spoke about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom of Israel, then the southern kingdom of Judah. Now the northern kingdom, that's where Zebulon and Naphtali and all those places were. There they turned their backs on God. And the Assyrians began to come upon them. And they were in trouble. Because they had turned their backs on God. And so this word, so this, this verse that we read in Christmas, and, and, and we love it so much, and it's so full of meaning, because it is full of meaning. I want you to understand, this verse comes into the, in, in, is given to us in the context of war, of fear, of oppression. So the people are in trouble. It says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness, they were in the dark, they were oppressed. Assyria was about to destroy them, scatter them. And the word says, the prophet comes and says, the people walking in darkness, darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. Because Assyria is casting a shadow over Israel. It's about to destroy them. Death is threatening the land. The people who walked in darkness, those who dwelt in the land, the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of the shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Now listen, we are obviously looking at a prophecy here, and the Lord is speaking peace over Israel. He's talking a day is coming when there will be no fight. He's saying your clothes and your shoes, which are covered in blood, they shall be used to make fire, to fill fire. And then he says, the rod of his oppressor for everywhere sandal uh, for and, and garments for, will be burning, filling fire. The stuff of the show, the rod of his oppression, as in the Median. He's talking about. And there's another passage that goes together with this where he speaks about the, the, the tools of war being used as implements of gardening and of agriculture. He's saying peace is coming. And then he says, why? For unto us, why is he saying this? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. I, I want you to notice carefully how prophecy is presented. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came. But the prophecy is presented in past tense. 
Why is that? Because God knows the end from the beginning. God is not surprised by what is happening in Israel amongst his people right now. He knows the end from the beginning. Before Adam was, God knew the, how the end was going to be. And so he declares in the past tense until it comes to happen. And that's how we should connect with prophecy and with God. Because if you belong to Jesus Christ, your future is not going to happen. Your future has happened. You belong to the kingdom. You are a child of God. Your destiny is secure. Now, you might have to put up with a few battles on earth. You might have to navigate a few difficulties. Amen? But your future is secure. Do not doubt that. Amen? Hallelujah. Look at this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Notice that a child is born, but a son is given to us. A child was born like any other child is born. Little baby out of flesh and blood. But the son, the spirit that came inside the child was given, came from God. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace. Again, he emphasizes the peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, this prophecy has been partially fulfilled. The part that was fulfilled is the coming of the child, which happened back then when the shepherds got the message that night in Bethlehem. That's when it happened. The fullness of this prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. How do I know? Well, simple question. Is there complete peace on the earth? Yes or no? And then it hasn't been fulfilled. Because it says here, there'll be complete peace. It is still to come. This prophecy is still to come. And that's why in Advent, we look back at the first Advent, the first arrival of Jesus, and we look forward to the second Advent, the second coming, the second arrival of Jesus, because he promised to return. And I believe his promise. What about you? Amen? If the first set of prophecies came to pass, I believe the second set of prophecies will come to pass too. Amen? He's going to come. He is coming. And he's going to establish his kingdom. Now, for us, to the, the common Western definition of peace is the absence of conflict or war. You know, if there's no conflict, no war, if I'm at peace with everybody and nobody's trying to attack me, ah, I'm at peace. That's what, how we think of peace. But, but, <laughs> the, the biblical understanding of peace and, and the words used in the Bible, the Hebrew word and the Greek word used in the Old and the New Testament goes beyond just in our absence of conflict and war. Let's look at those words quickly. The word peace. In Hebrew is the word shalom. It's become a very popular word these days. People like to, to adopt you know, Jewish terms. 
and uh, love, hey, shalom, shalom, shalom. And if you go to, to, to Israel, you're going to hear this word all over the place. When people meet each other, hey, shalom. When they go away, shalom, <laughs> all right? When it's a special occasion, shalom. Because shalom is full of meaning. It's not just peace. There's more. The Greek word is the, is the word Irini. Now, those of you who live in Irene, or those ladies whose name is Irene, that means peace. Your name means peace. So you better behave accordingly, okay? And uh, the word uh, Irene, Irene, is also, it's the, it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Shalom. And, and look what, what the word means. It means, yes, it means peace in the sense that you understand peace. But it means more. It means wholeness. It means safety. If you are safe, you are at peace. If you are whole, you are at peace. In other words, there, 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 there is health, there is, you know, there is well-being, there is completeness. When something is incomplete, it's not shalom. You need to complete it. When a project is not finished, it's not shalom. When uh, you're not feeling completely healthy, happy, etc., you're not in full shalom. Shalom goes more than just peace. It talks about completeness. And so in the, in the Hebrew culture, uh, shalom is used in many ways to, to complete things, to restore things, to fix things. So when you talk about the peace of Jerusalem, often you say, Lord, and, and the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now is a good time to pray for, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It, it doesn't mean, Lord... Let Jerusalem be free of conflict and war. No, it doesn't mean that. Because, see, Jerusalem has a destiny. The biblical destiny for Jerusalem is to be the seat of the king. We've just read in Isaiah. He's going to sit upon the throne of David. We're in Jerusalem. He's going to rule and reign from there. Jerusalem, the destiny of Jerusalem is to be the capital of the world. Ruled by Jesus Christ himself. So Jerusalem will only be whole, safe, complete, at peace, and full of well-being when Jesus sits in Jerusalem. So when you say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he's saying, pray that the destiny of Jerusalem will be fulfilled. So right now, as I say, Lord, please, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm not praying that the terrorists stop their fighting, that those guys stop fighting, that they start loving each other, and there will be peace and no conflict. No, that's not what I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, let the destiny of Jerusalem be fulfilled. Lord, let the day come when Jesus sits in Jerusalem and Jerusalem fulfills its destiny to be the peace capital of the world. Because then there will be peace in the whole world. That's a mouthful, eh? And so, here we sit. In a world full of conflict and war, and we pray for peace. And so we need to understand the meaning of peace. But it goes further. It's not just, it's not just this. this is good, and this is the meaning of peace. But then Jesus comes in the scene, and listen to what he says in John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, 
peace I leave with you. John 14, 27. My peace, not summer any peace. My peace, he says, I give to you. Not as the world gives it. Because the way the world gives the word is trying to, to pamper you and make you feel good for a little bit. And then comes the kick. Not as the world gives, just temporary peace. Money peace. No. Not as the world gives it to you. Do I give it to you? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Why? He's talking to his followers. He's talking to you and me today. If we are not careful, people, our hearts may become troubled. We heard it here this morning. In the opening. It is so easy for things to happen. And our heart gets troubled. It is so easy for you to tune on to the news. And you hear things which make you afraid. Maybe afraid of a war. Maybe afraid of a financial collapse. Maybe afraid of drinking water. <laughs> maybe afraid of, I don't know, whatever is in the news bringing fear to you. And so Jesus says, Take my peace. Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. Look at me. So when we speak about peace, we need to understand there are different dimensions of peace. First of all, it has to do with a person, Jesus Christ. But there are different dimensions of peace. Let's talk about them very quickly. Number one, there is spiritual peace, which is peace with God. Spiritual peace, peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith. We have peace with God. You are justified. In other words, it's not your doing because we cannot get right with God by ourselves. No matter how, how hard we try, we will end up breaking a commandment or two. Our flesh gets in the way. We cannot save ourselves. And, and God allowed his people to prove it to themselves and to the whole world. He gave them 10 commandments. They couldn't keep those 10 commandments. Amen? He gave them the law. Nobody could keep the law. Which proved to us that we cannot keep the law. We cannot save ourselves. All right? And so we had to be justified by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Justified means justified, justified never sinned. So when I put my faith in Christ, I'm justified. When God looks at me, it says, justified never sinned. I'm justified. Amen? And that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. But that's, that's the beginning because it, 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 peace, if peace is linked to a person, Jesus Christ, I better be connected to this person. So by faith in Jesus, I get connected with God. I get made right with God. And that is where true peace starts. And it's what the whole world needs. Amen. Connection with God. If the world, if the individuals of this world were connected with God, it still wouldn't be a perfect world, but it would be a far better world because we would all be trying to live by the law of love and the law of love wants the best for the other. And if I want the best for the other, I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to make war with you. And so life would be a whole lot better, right? So that's the number one is spiritual peace. Number two, internal peace. Number one is spiritual peace, which is peace 
with God. Number two is internal peace, which is the peace of God. Listen, it is one thing to have peace with God. I commit my life to Jesus, and, and I trust in him, and I put my faith in him, and I know I die, I go to heaven. When my life here is over, I'm going to continue my life in his presence. I believe in God, and I've got peace with God. But number two is the peace of God, which is a little difference, different. Too many Christians have peace with God, but not the peace of God. They're going around worrying and they are afraid and they're not, they're not at peace with themselves. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to be an umpire, to be the guide in your hearts. You know why we miss it sometimes? Because we want to do things by our head instead of trusting the peace of God in our hearts. Instead of trusting what God says and asking him for guidance and trusting him, we think we can fix things, we can do stuff. We don't need God. Shame, he's too busy saving the world already and you know, I don't want to bother him with my little problems and so I'll do my own thing and I'm always lacking peace. So the peace of God, the internal peace must follow the spiritual peace. Having settled our relationship with God, we need to now settle our relationship with ourselves. Amen? And, and so, for those who have peace with God, Jesus offers the peace of God. No matter what problem you are facing, Jesus offers his peace to you. If you need encouragement, he offers encouragement peace. Amen? If you need comfort, he, he offers you comforting peace. No matter what it is. Do you need guidance? He gives you guiding peace. And so on. The times I've tried to make decisions and, and the peace of God was in my heart, things have gone skew. Amen? You need to allow the peace of God to guide you, to guide your thoughts, to guide what you do. Have peace of God inside of you. Amen? And, uh, you know, the verse that was read this morning, Philippians uh, uh, 4, 6 or 7, be anxious for nothing, Right? But in everything but prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God. Why? And the peace of God. Not peace with God. You've got peace with God, and that's how you can pray to God. But you must now allow the peace of God. So you come to God, you pour your heart out, you shout, you scream, you cry, you pray, you ask. But you talk to God, and then you allow His peace. And it's a peace which surpasses all understanding. It will, God, protect your heart and your mind. Because if your heart and your mind is not protected, your heart will be beating at a high rate and your mind will be full of thoughts. What, 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 what? But there is a peace that can come upon you, even in difficult times, even in troubled times, even in conflict times. It's a peace you don't understand. Things are falling apart around you, but you're like in a, in a bubble of peace. God wants you to have that peace. It's called the peace of God. It's internal peace. Don't try to understand it. Don't try to explain it. Amen? It is something that you can only experience if you're connected with Jesus Christ and if you allow, put your trust in him, 
so that that peace can come. Then number three, the third dimension of peace is relational peace, which means peace with others. We need to be at peace with others to enjoy full shalom. Now, the first two dimensions of peace, peace with God and of God, those two are very much under your control. They happen under your skin, okay? But this one is a bit more complicated because it involves others whom you cannot control. The Bible gives us no right, gives nobody any right to control another. Keep this in mind. Because, you know, we are wired, you know, our sinful nature is wired in a way to control others. And most religions of this world have a tendency of controlling. Look what's happening right now with, with Islam and Gaza and so on. What is Islam? It's a controlling religion. You shall believe in Allah or else. Boom. That's the bottom line, guys. No matter how peaceful they come across initially, that's the bottom line of Islam. When those guys, look what they say in England, in, in America, in Australia. We shall turn everybody into you know, Muslims because if you don't, boom. <laughs> you cannot force people. God is not pleased with that. Okay? If I had to pay my wife for her to love me, what kind of love is that? Huh? If I had to beat her into loving me, what kind of love is that? What value is in that love? What makes her love precious to me is that she knows who I am. I'm nasty on Sunday mornings, but she knows the real me. And she still loves me. That's what makes that love valuable to me. And what do you think makes your love valuable to God? A threat? No. Your response to God. And therefore, just like God does not control us, unless we give ourselves to him and allow him to guide us, which is different than controlling us. Hello? In the same way, we cannot control other people. Okay? And so, this peace with others is a little bit tricky. And so Romans 12, 18 tells us, if it is possible, I want you to notice that, if it is possible, and he's implying that, hey guys, sometimes it's not possible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. So he's putting the ball in our court, in your court and in my court. As followers of Christ, we must take on the responsibility. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Live at, live at peace with everybody as much as is possible, as much as is in your power. Amen? Don't you be the one starting fights. Don't you be the one causing conflict. How do we do that? Because you're sinners. We will cause conflict. I've said it from this pulpit. I will offend you. It's a promise. Not because I want to, but because life happens. You know, I might forget something. I might come past you and ignore you because my mind is somewhere else. And you might think I'm being ugly to you. And I might say something without thinking and, and upset you. It happens because we're human. I didn't wake up this morning and say, hmm, I'm going to say something to upset that sister. I'm going to say something to turn that brother. No. But just because we are human, sometimes stuff happens. And that's why as much as it depends on me, on us, on you, as a child of God, those of you watching, those of you listening, 
As much as depends on you. Live at peace. Which means sometimes I have to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, my sister. I wasn't thinking my, my apologies. Number one. Number two, I have to be ready to forgive and to let go. I cannot walk around holding a grudge. Yeah, but he said so. Do you know what he said? Come on. The Bible says that we are in Christ, we are dead to the world. I've tried this. Next time you go to a funeral, go up to the casket and insult the dead person. See what reaction you get. See if he gets up and claps you. See if he answers back to you. Dead people don't react to insults. Hello? And therefore, if I'm dead in Christ, I'm, it's easy to forgive. It's easy to say, I'm sorry. And I know I will, you know, I still have many years ahead. I'm going to say many I'm sorries to my wife, to my kids, to some of you. You know, if you, if you hang around me, you're going to get an I'm sorry from me sometime or other. Amen. But I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving. In fact, I, I like to say this. You know, you're already forgiven because I, I live with an attitude of forgiveness. By the time you insult me, I knew you were going to do it because you're human. You're forgiven already, man. Let's move on. Praise God. Hello? Huh? Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule your hearts to which also you were called. Talking to believers here. You were called in one body. We are one Look around you. We are so different. I, I love to look at this congregation. Because you've got your different tribes, different nations, different ethnic groups. And you know what? We are one. With all our differences, we are one body. Amen? In Christ. And it's okay to be different. I love our different traditions and, and the different foods and things like that. And whatever is in our culture that does not go against the laws of the kingdom of God is okay. But in all of our cultures, there are things which go against the kingdom of God. And those things say, hey, that is out. I am first a citizen of the kingdom and then a citizen of country A, B, or C. My earthly citizenship is way below my heavenly citizenship. That counts. Because you know what? I'm in the soul. I'm a citizen of a nation of a year for a couple of years only. But I'll be a citizen of heaven for eternity so I'd rather please the leaders of my eternal nation than the people of my earthly nation. Oh, but that's not part of our culture, pastor. Excuse my French. Stick your culture because I belong to the kingdom of God. Okay? There are things in my culture that I don't like, that I disagree with. A lot of things that I like, especially the food. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Okay? So that's it. Now, what about the fourth one is future peace. That's a final one in terms of dimensions of peace. Future peace. That's number four. And that is the second advent of Jesus. Now, this number four is the one we all long for. It is not here. Those first three, we need to deal with them in this life. Peace with God, peace of God, peace with one another. Those three dimensions, we are actively working on them in this life. 
The fourth one we long for. But if God, if we have that number one, peace with God in place, we can be assured that we will participate in this number four, future peace, which is the second advent of Jesus. And we read already in Isaiah 9-7 of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Amen? Upon the throne of David uh, and over his kingdom, that's in Jerusalem, uh, of his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. When we started Habakkuk the other day, we, we, we made a point of this. There's no justice in the world. People do whatever they want. Countries have gone down the drain. South Africa has gone down the drain in terms of justice. Amen? The law prevailing. People do whatever they want. They get away with it. Whoever's got more money gets the same. Come on, guys. Hey? It is so difficult to get righteousness, and, but day is coming when Jesus is going to rule judgment. And you know why? Because when Jesus is ruling, you can't come to him and say, oh, Jesus, but you know, I meant to do it, but, 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 but. Because he can read your heart. He, he knows what you are thinking. You can hide nothing from him. And therefore, his judgment will be righteous. He'll be able to play back for you. I don't know if you have a big screen. It says, look, there you are. That's what you're thinking at that moment. There's a time. There's a day. How dare you come and tell me that you forgot or that you didn't mean to. Do. Of course you mean. Look, look at your heart. There will be justice. You don't need a jury because you can bring out the truth out of our hearts. Amen? It's going to be a good day, man. <laughs> Amen? And so truth, judgment, ju and it says, from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is going to come to pass. When? When the right time comes. And as we've heard before from this pulpit, you cannot speed God's timing. You can't slow God's timing. But I know it is near. How do I know? Because I see prophecies lining up. It is near. It's going to happen sooner than we think. I'm going to ask the ushers to please distribute the, uh, the cups, please. Those of you watching online and, and uh, on, on the audio, maybe you want to get your, your elements ready as well. We're going to share in communion presently. But that is the, the fourth dimension of peace. And it is going to happen, people. We all long for it. And so the four dimensions, again, number one is spiritual peace, peace with God. Number two, internal peace, peace with God. Number three, relational peace, peace with others. You can carry on, please. Yeah. Peace with others, which is something that we need to actively and intentionally work on. I encourage all of you to be aware of this at your work, amongst your, your family members, um, wherever you are. Um, thank you very much. But to work on, on, this, on this peace, okay? Um, the more of us doing it, the more peace there will be in terms of relations. And then, of course future future peace now as we take time now to share in communion let us keep shalom irene in mind huh? jesus came to give his peace and so let us draw close to him intentionally intentionally as we remember what he did for us what did he do he opened us 
opened for us a way so that we could have relationship with God. He said, I am the way. Listen, when, when he says, I am the way, he doesn't leave options open. When Jesus said, I am the way, that does not leave options open. We live in a world which wants to unite everybody. Ah, oh, we all worship the same God. Some call him God. Some call him Jesus. Some call him Allah. Some call him Buddha. It's all this rubbish. Unfortunately, by nature, Christianity is a divisive religion. That's why the world hates Christians so much. Because we say, it's Jesus. He's the only way. If, if there was any other way, why would Jesus come and die? I mean, Jesus himself, he inquired of the Father in, in those lost months. God, are you sure? My, isn't there another plan? If there was another plan, God would say, Jesus, I tell you what. No, no, it's okay. It's fine. I mean, all roads lead to Rome, so all paths lead to God. I mean, people call me different names, so that's okay, Jesus, just, just go home. Let's cancel the project. It's fine. Go and do a few more miracles, then come up to heaven, and we're done. No! There was no other way yet to go through the cross, and that's what we are remembering here today, guys. The bread reminding us of his broken body on the cross for us. The juice reminding us of his blood that was poured, shed for us. Holy blood, clean blood. Not a sinner's blood. A man without sin. And that's what we remember today. And we remember this because of this sacrifice that we can have peace. Peace with God. Peace with one another. And you look forward to eternal peace one day. Maybe as the year draws to an end, you're feeling maybe tired and, and weary and run down maybe. Maybe all you can think of is having a break from work. All you can think of is you know, taking time to sleep, to rest, play a bit, relax. And, and these are all good. But what we all really need is to draw close to Jesus. Jesus said the following in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That yoke is what put animals together in, in partnership so they can, the load can be lessened when animals pull the loads. Jesus is saying, come, let us partner together. Take my yoke, okay, so that your load becomes lighter. Because he says, my, my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy. It doesn't hurt you when you put my yoke on. And my burden is light. People say, oh, it's hard to be a Christian. Yoke up with Jesus. Because he doesn't want us to be a Christian on our own. He wants us to partner with him, and then with him, we can live this life. And we can seek peace. We can seek shalom. We can seek irene. And we can find rest for our souls. Amen? Let's close our eyes where you are. Just relax.
where you are right now. Close your eyes and let's enjoy this meal together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your body broken for us. As we take this bread, we remember, Lord, and we thank you for what you did for us, for opening the way of salvation so that all of us, those of you present, those watching, those listening, that we can all have peace with God and the peace of God. Thank you now for your body. We take this bread in remembrance of what you did. Amen. Take and eat. And Lord, we thank you for the wine, the fruit of the vine, this juice which reminds us of the blood that you shed for us. Sinless blood, Lord. The sinless paying the price for the sinful. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. We remember, Lord. We remember, Lord. And you are grateful for what you did for us. And you remember what you did on the cross. We remember what you suffered, Lord. But you also, Lord, remember that you said that you would return. And that one day we would share in a meal like this again. But you would be physically present with us. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for blessing this cup. We receive it as we remember. And we receive it with gratitude. Amen and amen. Take and drink. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. That brings us to, this, to the end of the service. Please go home. Think on these things. Enjoy the Christmas season with peace. Amen. Understanding the different dimensions of peace, connecting with each one of them. Those of you who are perhaps going away, you know, starting a bit of an early holiday or an early break, um, enjoy it. Enjoy it peacefully. Amen. Uh, keep on following us online as we continue, you know, speaking about the different uh, candles of, um, of this uh, wreath. And um, yeah, remember about hope. Remember about peace. And join us again next Sunday as we light one more candle and talk about one more element of the Advent uh, wreath. Um, Dio? Okay. We're going to close the meeting, but I ask all of you not to move. Okay, I'm gonna, just going to say bye-bye to the people online. Uh, remain seated. There is one, something which we need to, to do here still before we, uh, we, we depart. Okay? So, uh, it involves our children. So, let's just uh, wait for that. So, Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we go, that your peace may fill our hearts, guide our hearts, Lord God, in all that we do, Lord. Help us to honor your word by living in peace as much as is possible within our means, Lord God. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, Lord God, as we continue to pursue you, Lord. Get closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you guys online. See you next week.